Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O my, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise him, my salvation and my God. Those are verses 3 to 5 of Psalm 43, which along with Psalm 42 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, October the 22nd, 2022. <clears throat> so you're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus today in chapter 15, verses 9 to 20. And these are, again, these are wisdom sayings, sort of like Proverbs. And then... Um, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, 1 to 13, and then the book of the Revelation, chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. So the Ecclesiasticus passage today um, basically sa- it, it speaks of salvation, and it puts the onus on us. Um, and you can say, well, that's a, a pre-New Testament understanding of salvation, but what we have, it, it, there's nothing wrong with what's being said here. Um, even for Christians, because we've been given the Holy Spirit to lead us. We just we have to cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit, though. <clears throat> Praise is unseemly on the lips of a sinner, for it's not been sent from the Lord. For in wisdom must praise be uttered, and the Lord will make it prosper. So w- wisdom and praise, that, that those two things should go together, because what, what's happened, like yesterday I was talking about this whole idea of what do we see? Do we see like Christians or do we see like worldly people? Do we see God's activity in the world and recognize it and praise him for it? Or do we just see life unfolding ahead of us and in front of us in such a way that, that we don't even notice God's action in it? And so that wisdom is the, the knowledge that God is doing something, that he's working and seeing it, and, procl- and we proclaim that and praise him for it. Don't say it was the Lord's doing that I fell away, for he does not do what he hates. And, and that we, we've heard that before. The Lord, he can't be tempted, nor does he tempt us. He, he leads, we asked for him to lead us away from temptation. We see that in, we'll see that in the gospel today, which, is from the, which includes the Lord's prayer. <clears throat> so don't say it was he who led me astray, for he has no need of the sinful. God has no desire to, to be with sin. The, the understanding that, um, that Judaism has regarding the whole idea of temptation is, is quite different, frankly, from the way we as Christians understand it, what, that it but it involves the Satan, and, and he has a job and a role, and that job is to present temptation to us, uh, but, and that's intended to make us strong. So that's the, the purpose, they see, for this angelic being that we refer to as the Satan is to tempt us. And so he, he does that in such a way that it's intended to strengthen us. It's intended to, to take to where we can stand against those temptations. <clears throat> the Lord hates all abominations. Such things are not loved by those who fear him. It was he who created humankind in the beginning, and he left them in the power of their own free choice. Now, this comes down to an important question within theology, right? Do we do we have uh, a free will or not, or has sin so corrupted everything that we no longer can can choose the good? 
And, and I would say that without the Holy Spirit, that the answer is we cannot. That that's the the effects of the fall include that. Judaism would completely disagree with that, and some portions of Christianity would agree with that as well. Arminianism, for instance, would see a place for human um, activity in in the redemptive action of God. That there's something in us that remains some character of the good, can recognize Him and then receive Him. In other theology, uh, other than than Arminianism, so Calvinism and others, that the the thing is no that that the fall is so great that the Lord has to work within us by the power of His Spirit. He has to put His Spirit in us so that we can receive truth. So there, there's the difference between those two things. So do we have free choice and free will? And, and most of Christianity would say no. Judaism would say yes, we can. We have the ability to overcome that thing in us that would choose the wrong, and that they refer to that as the yetzer ra, the, um, the evil inclination. So that, that's what they would say, is this, there's, there's this yetzer ra and the yetzer tov, the good inclination and the evil inclination within us, and we get to choose. It's like the angel and the devil on a shoulder, right, the, the old caricature. Uh, we have the ability to choose, is the way that Judaism understands it. And Christianity says, no, the fall is so great, the effects of the fall are so complete that we don't have the ability to do that. Now, the renewed and redeemed human has an, has an improved ability to do that, but only to the extent that we live by the Spirit. So if, if you choose, you can keep the commandments, and to act faithfully is a matter of your own choice, and frequently it is. You're not determined. It, it, we don't believe in determinism where everything is uh, just going to happen the way it happens and that we don't have any kind of free will or freedom of action in anything. He has placed before you fire and water. Stretch out your hand for whichever you choose. Good or evil is what that means. Before each person, our life and death, and whichever one he chooses will be given. And that's, uh, again, I've quoted C.S. Lewis on this issue multiple times, and, and that quote would be something along the lines of, there are those to, who say to God, thy will be done, and there, there are those to whom God says, thy will be done. So whatever one chooses will be given. For great is the wisdom of the Lord. He is mighty in power and sees everything. His eyes are on those who fear him, and he knows every human action. He's not commanded anyone to be wicked, and he's not given anyone permission to sin. So there's no special dispensation given to anyone that would cause them to sin or that they were supposed to sin. So that, that's an important thing, too, because when we talk about the, um, the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? And, and it doesn't fit with any of this because you wouldn't—why would God want to do that, you know? Um, and, and did he take away— Pharaoh's free will. And, and so Jewish response to that is, no, the verbs are actually such that what they mean is that he strengthened his heart, which means that Pharaoh had said it in a certain way, and God came alongside and strengthened that because of what was to come. And God had a plan and a will, but ultimately Pharaoh was the one who hardened his heart against the Lord, and the Lord just let him do it. In the gospel today, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. 
So we get an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer here. The the one in Matthew is the one we typically use with a doxology at the end. Um, that that doxology is not there. Is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, that that's not part of the prayer in Scripture. It, it's added by the church. So we get this abbreviated version of it here, asking for God's kingdom to come. We do that with a certain knowledge that that means judgment. And it means that we um, don't rejoice in that judgment. We, we give thanks that he has enabled us to pass through that judgment. But we, we pray your kingdom come with a recognition of what that will entail in every single way, and it should bring us grief while at the same time should be our highest desire. Because we, don't, we shouldn't want to see anyone destroyed. We should not want that for another human being, no matter what they've done to us. And that's the reason Jesus said to love your enemies. And, and we are never to want that. That's never to be our desire. We're, we're only excited to see the positive thing of the, the coming of the kingdom. And that is, is that sin will be no more. Pain won't be anymore. Suffering won't. Dying won't. All those things will go away. We want those things. And at the same time, we recognize that that means that, that some will not endure that judgment. And then give us each day our daily bread harkens back to um, the manna in the wilderness. It, it's clearly that that um, idea is intended to keep us humble and walking humbly before our God. And you know, there, there are so many stories of missionaries and others um, throughout their lives who lived hand-to-mouth in this way, but God always provided. And so that's, that's the way that, that Jesus is teaching us to pray. He's not teaching us to, to want tomorrow's bread because tomorrow's not guaranteed to us. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. So we're, we are intended to be like God in forgiving. We can't ask for forgiveness with, without being people who forgive. And then lead us not into temptation, which would be the, the reverse of that would be lead us in all these other places, but not into places where we might be tempted. And he said to them, which of you has a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and get you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And it sounds like the unjust judge where the widow continues to come and demand judgment of the judge. And so the persistence in asking is what will finally make this person get up and do what's, what, what you're asking them to do. So it's not even out of friendship. <laughs> and so these are, these are intended to be um, follow-ons to the, the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. And, and so there's a matter of trusting God that's inherent in all of this to be the giver of all good gifts. And so when Suzanne and I, after Will's death, one of the first things that, that we talked about was is that, that we have this little mantra, and that little mantra is, God is good. We are His children. God only gives good gifts to His children. Therefore, this is good. We don't know how. We will know later how and why it was good and best, but we can't know that now. It's impossible, and the book of Job tells us that. It tells us there are some things that we couldn't possibly understand without knowing everything. 
And so that that's why we believe that God is a good Father and He gives good gifts. And so what He's saying here is continue to pray, continue to pray, continue to pray. Don't give up. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Does that mean that we get everything that we want in this life? Does that mean that that I mean, if it were, then then every Christian would be very wealthy, probably. Um, they would have a perfect body, and they would live for a very long time without any pain or suffering. That's not clearly, then, what he's talking about. <laughs> um, he said, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be open. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, those things, the reason that he chooses these is these things look sort of alike at at certain levels. A scorpion, when it rolls itself up into a ball, kind of looks like an egg, and there are white scorpions. And and a serpent resembles a a fish in the sense that it has scales. But, But God knows the difference between those two, and one is good for his children and one is not good for his children. You could play a practical joke on your child and do this the other way, but harm might come to that child. So God knows what it is we need, and he knows those things that are best for us, and those are the things that he gives us. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Holy Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so that's exactly the context for what Jesus is talking about when he talks about ask, seek, knock. It's what are we asking for? Are we asking for the best God has to offer, or are we asking for what our hearts desire, our fallen heart's desire. And we have, to, we have to know, we have to acknowledge that, that we don't know what's good for us. God does, and he's only going to give us good gifts. And so we rely on his goodness. When we ask for his kingdom to come, we ask it first to come into our own lives, and then we ask for it to come generally. <clears throat> Then I saw another mighty angel coming, this is Revelation now, mighty angel coming from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. And I I believe these angels, the ones that that we see here, are are those who are closer and closer to the throne room of God. And and this one looks, the face like the sun and legs like pillars of fire, sounds a lot like John's description of Jesus in uh, Revelation 1. And so I believe these these angels, I believe they're, they're higher and higher in the hierarchy from the first one to the seventh one here. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out in a loud voice like a lion roaring. Here again, we get this lion roaring thing, and, and that comes again from the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so there's this, this enormous angel with a foot on the land and a foot on the sea standing there calling out like a lion. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded that there would be a belief in Judaism that there's seven different kinds of thunder in a similar way that they would say that there are several different kinds of notes that could be played on a shofar. And some of those notes have different meanings from one another. They, they're calling to the Lord in a different way. When the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. 
Now, this same idea is given to Daniel. Daniel is told in Daniel 12 to not write some things, to seal it up, seal up the book of the prophecy concerning the last days. That's not to be shared yet. Daniel saw it. He was privileged to see it. John was privileged to see and to hear this, but he was not allowed to share those things with the rest of us. And there's good reasons that God would do that, that that we don't need to know those things. It's like the orders given to a ship that's been sent um, into a battle. The first order would be, go to this spot. And when you get to that spot, then you can open your orders. And that's how it was with the Enola Gay, the the, the uh, plane that, that delivered the bombs uh, in Hiroshima. And so they, they got to a certain place, and when they got to that place, so the, the first act of obedience was to go to that place. And once you got to that place and had been obedient to that direction, then you could open the second thing. And so that would be a similar kind of thing, because we would tend to focus too much on that and worry too much about it and concern ourselves too much with this last vision if we knew it. We have to believe, again, that God keeping something from us is best for us, right? So, after that, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what's in it, and the sea and what's in it, that there would be no more delay. Now, in Daniel 12, you see exactly this same thing again, another large angel reaching into heaven and declaring into the heavens. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So John here is one of those prophets. Daniel is one of those prophets. It was announced to them, but they were not allowed to announce it to the world. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, Go, take the scroll that's open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. Now that would be a fearsome prospect, wouldn't it, to see this enormous angel holding this little scroll, and you're supposed to go get it. You Remember, there's another scene of a scroll being taken, right? There's the scene where the lamb looking like it was slain appears before the throne and goes and takes the scroll. And before that, no one on in heaven or on earth or under the earth had been found worthy to take that scroll from the hand of the one seated on the throne. And now suddenly comes this lamb. And so here John is now to go and take a scroll from this angel. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. I mean, this would be a comical vision to see that John goes to this enormous angel and says, I need you to give me that little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Now, that's that goes back also. This has been done before as well. If you go back to Ezekiel 2, Ezekiel is told exactly the same thing. And this is sort of the way that we should have an attitude towards, um, towards judgment, like I was saying before. And that is it tasted sweet in my mouth, but then it tastes bitter in my stomach. When I recognize the implications of the Word of God, when I rec- recognize the implications of praying for the coming of the kingdom of God, it's not just a good thing for me because I'll no longer live in a world that's characterized by sin. No, it's judgment, and it means the ruination and the spoliation of all that God has created. And it means that some people will not live, and that should grieve us. It should be bitter in my stomach. As a human, the Word of God, ultimately, it tastes sweet, but then we recognize the implications of it, and it, it, it can become quite bitter 
to us, but it, but it makes us fit then to preach God's word. And, and it's what's so beautiful about the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is, is that, that knowing all these things, he, he provided a way through judgment. Judgment would come, period, end of sentence, one way or another, but he provided a way through that judgment in the person of his son. And for that, we can do nothing other than give thanks. And John was finally told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So John's being set up as God's prophet by by digesting and devouring God's word in such a way now that it comes from the inside out. He can see clearly the implications of the words that God will give him, and therefore he can declare it in such a way that people can hear it. And it's important that we always read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Word of God, that we understand the implications of what we preach, and therefore when we understand the implications of that, then we preach with a different confidence, we preach with a different love, we preach with a different sense of urgency as well.